welcome to this week's Armchair Trader podcast. And on the podcast this week, we have Fraser Thorne, who is the CEO of Edison Research. Fraser, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me on. Today, we'll be talking a little bit more about uh, research of stocks and, and how it works. But uh, can you just give us a quick digest or overview of Edison and what you guys do? Well, just as an introduction to, to myself, just to give it a bit of context, I started my career uh, in investment, uh, running money for a business. I started as an analyst and then I was an investment manager for Newton Investment Management, which was a top performing international house that was was eventually bought by Mellon Bank, which then merged with Bank of New York and is now a global whale of an investment house. Um, we set up Edison in 2003, and I, and I wanted to take some of the principles that I'd, I'd learned at, at Newton's, where we had internal analysts who, who, whose job it was, they were sector experts. They weren't there to necessarily be stock pickers as such, but they were there for the fund managers to rely on, to check ideas on, to, to get a, a handle on, on, on trends and momentum. And so I set up Edison when I, when I, after I left Newton in, in 2003, we, we, we looked around and, and it was quite difficult to get an independent research business completely off the ground, whereby you get the funds to pay you. And you might have sort of seen the decline of CSAs and broker fees. It's very, very challenged. So, so Redburn was the great success in that space. And they, 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 they recently sold themselves to, to Rothschilds because they were under fee pressure. So we looked around and thought, well, how do you how do you stay in this and give, give yourself an opportunity to invest uh, in, in the growth of the um, the analysts? And and we looked at the debt market and the the debt market, the issuer pays. So in, in our business model, I know it's not pure, pure, but, but, you know, it gives us the cash flow that we can invest in our in our content and in our audience engagement. So the, so the corporates are our fee payers. Now, initially, a lot of people would go, well, you're just going to write what they what they tell you to write, aren't you? And 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 we would sort of battle back and go, well, actually, no, that's not that's not our purpose. And and we've been we've been very successful. My my director of research, uh, he's now called the director of content and client strategies, Neil Shah. He was a, a senior analyst at Goldman Sachs, and and he's been fantastic along with Steve Rogers. He's the deputy director of research, and actually making sure that we build we've built a a brand that is recognised for its rigour for its thoroughness, for its knowledge. And companies come to us to be written on by Edison because they know that we're very good at helping to explain their story. What we then do is is we then work on the basis that, look, actually everybody should get access to these investment ideas and stories. And and, and so it's it's all on a free-to-view basis. Uh, And that's quite revolutionary in, in, in that, no one else has that model whereby we don't expect anything back from the investment community, from the reader. You know, we encourage engagement. We encourage phone calls with the analysts. We encourage access to the corporates. You know, really what, what we want to do is we want to help. We want to help the corporates find the right investors. And we want investors to be able to understand everything they can about a company and, and, and take a call uh, as to whether they want to invest in it or not. And if not, that's fine. They can move on, find an, find another idea. So that's that's a little bit of an introduction to us. We're we're now uh, we're about a hundred people. Uh, we are a regulated entity here in the the UK. Uh, we've got offices in New York, uh, Frankfurt, Tel Aviv, Sydney, and, and we've built up we built our brand very much in the sort of UK 
UK growth market. Uh, and we sort of, that that's still very much our sort of heartland. Uh, but now roughly half our, our client base is non-UK. And we, we, we again think that gives us a great advantage is that I don't, I don't believe that the right way to look at a stock is, is, is by country. I, I, you know, I, I think that you, you look at successful investment houses like Polar, um, you know, you invest by, you invest by theme, you invest by sector, and then you look to find the best in class in that they might be French, they might be German, they might be American Nordics, or they, or they might be British. But actually, I think, you know, markets are now much more globally interconnected. And, and we, so we find that as a, that's a great, um, that's a great lead for us. Obviously, we've seen a situation um, historically where the big investment banks used to produce a lot of the um, equities research. And uh, since the MIFID regulations came in, they really scaled back quite considerably because um, they can't offer the offer free research. Um, you've seen a number of, sort of smaller independent equity research houses springing up in various specialist sectors like you know specialist mining or specialist biotech but it seems to me that there's been a lot of um sort of neglect actually um particularly if you you know move out of say the the FTSE 350 um index or equivalent and that there isn't an awful lot of um independent research out there these days uh, covering these companies Do you know what? i think that's always been the case people think mifids had a Big change. I mean, I, 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 I'm not so sure. I think there's more information available on these companies than there ever was. You know, you don't even need to have to wait for the annual report now. Everything is online. I mean, the way that we position this, and and, and you know, any, anyone who's going to think they're going to get something for free, you've got to wonder where where's my role in this. And and I've always felt that the reason that brokers don't write a, a lot of research is they don't make money out of it, and they're businesses. I mean, the UK is one of the most overbroked markets. There's no doubt about it. It's one of the. It's one of the. There are more brokers per square foot minimum coverage of market caps than I think there are in any other financial centre. So I wouldn't say the UK is short of of names, but the reality is is that you don't make any money on trading stock, and that's fine. That's that's good for the that's good for the investor. The institutions aren't in the small cap world aren't largely trading stock i was speaking to a company yesterday and and one very famous fund manager uh schroeder's i think he's owned that stock for you know more than 10 years now you you know so and so no one no broker was ever going to make any money out of out of them you know so it so it does drive everything towards a towards a fundraise you know that's where the fees are there's a whole podcast on, on 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 that as to uh quality of coverage around big deals and so on but to to come back to the to the point, I, I think that if if you're an interested investor, I think that the online platforms have been hugely successful, and 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 they've they've brought the power of the private investor very much to the fore, and and, and I think that's only gonna that's only gonna grow, and I think that provided people do their research and and you don't waste management's time, I think management are of of companies now are far more willing to talk to um, the private investor community. I mean, Stuart, I, I'm, not sh- yeah, I'm not sure that, that the, you know, it, it, are you going to see a change in the broking model? No, you're not. Free research from a broker. We like the, the broking fraternity. We work very closely with them. We need them because they, 
they transact the, the the stocks that we might write on, but it's there to drive the broker's agenda. You know, and that's why when I was a fund manager, we never looked at a broker's price target. We never looked at their recommendation. That wasn't their job. That's the investor's job. It's interesting you say that because I know a lot. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of journalists certainly pay attention to the broker's price targets. But it's interesting that they, they, the fund managers, fund managers have their own ideas. I wanted to also ask you about, I mean, we've seen a lot of new investors coming into the market since the start of the pandemic. And we've seen a lot of muscle in the retail market where smaller investors have been able to significantly move prices, not just yeah. in, in companies like GameStop, but we've seen how the Reddit um, fraternity has been able to actually make an impact on shares like Pearson um, or Nokia. Um, even though maybe that was only over a short-term uh, horizon. A lot of these investors, they're new, um, they're very active, they're prepared to rely heavily on social media, and we've, we've, we've heard about how a lot of them are using TikTok, but these are not necessarily the most reliable sources. What's, what's, your, what's your view on this, on this uh, sort of new wave of investment in the market right now? I think it's fantastic. The market needs it. I think that the, the 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 bigger challenge to the markets is the pacification of investment. You know, you're now seeing the the big passive funds outweigh the active funds, and and and, and you know, there's much there's a much bigger regulatory issue here that that I know a lot of people are looking at is that when passives are bigger than actives, who sets the price? The passives are bound up as to you know, they've got to buy a stock that, that keeps growing, that therefore they inflate the value. They've got to sell a stock that isn't doing so well. Active money liquidity is the lifeblood of any stock market. Going into specifics around how people access it, what you don't want is for people to critically lose money that's going to make a difference to their lives because they've got involved in something that they didn't really know and they kind of just rushed into it. But equally, I kind of, you don't want to be nannied. Look, it's my my choice, my decision. I, so no, I I think it's here to stay, you know. In the US, I mean, look at look at look at Tesla, you know, mm -hmm. Elon Musk drives that share price. He's got a good business and everything else, but but you know, there is a chief exec who is actively engaging with, with with his wider investment audience, and some of it may or may not be within the you know <laughs> the regulators' approval as to what he he does or doesn't tweet. But I mean, that's private investors that 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 are, that are getting in on the act there uh you, you know they're making it one-way traffic but but also for some companies not trading is 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 even worse you know you know you speak in any market you go to the property market you go to fruit market you know it, it's difficult to establish a price you know and hence a value if no one's buying or selling so so no i think the more people that are buying and selling is a good thing you're going to get one or two that have one-way traffic that catch headlines and it, it, i don't know warren buffett you, you know in his his annual statement was sort of very i i, I don't know he was being overly protective or was was perhaps a bit overstepping his his mark on on you know reddit and and gamestop and everything but um uh i mean he relies on private investors himself there's got to be a degree of protection through education you know, and I, I, I don't know about yourself, Stuart, but, but the quickest way to learn is to lose your, <laughs> lose your own money. Um, in the early days, my boss, when I first joined the city, when he joined the city, probably three decades before I did, he, he used to be lent money by his firm to trade. 
So they actively would teach you to, you know, understand the value of losing losing money. I, th- I think that the, the the growth of the private investor is here to stay. I think that it, I would actively encourage it if I was speaking to the to, to the regulators. I think that you know, and I, I just would would I guess make sure that everybody does their homework um, as much as is is possible. You know, otherwise there there clearly there is, and there's been this there's been this read across to during lockdown there was no sports betting, so there were no sports events, so there was no sports betting, so people moved on to stock betting. Maybe they did. You know, I think there's an element of that is is some kind of human nature. More liquidity in the markets is is is, is a positive and should be actively encouraged. You mentioned uh, passive investment and and and. Um... ETFs as as well. Most of them at the moment are sort of passive tracking vehicles, and and they're, 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 they've been attracting a lot of uh, money um, in Europe in the last sort of three to six months. And I notice you um, also cover a large number of investment trusts, correct? Um, which is which is a large and established um, sector, and these are obviously listed, actively managed funds. Do you think that there's a role in in investment for both ETFs, which are obviously very cheap, primarily passive funds, although we are now seeing some sort of semi-active ETFs coming onto the market? Is there a role for them to coexist alongside your traditional listed investment trusts? Or do you think that they'll start to cannibalize each other a little bit? Most definitely there's a role to, to coexist. I think they've got different purposes different assets investment trust challenge is that they're uk only um etfs are obviously global so their size of audience is is vastly different what, what what's the benefit of a trust the benefit of a trust is you've got a board you've got oversight uh and that does add to fees but i don't think many of the trusts you know they're not they're pretty parsimonious you know so there's that degree of oversight. You also can get a, a sort of value differential, you know, if you're prepared to sit and wait because you can, you know, some things can fall out of favor and they can be at discounts. And so you are technically getting, you know, a much better value investment if you're buying something at a discount and you believe that that particular sector or their focus is going to is going to turn. E- e- ETFs don't always have the same transparency. You're not always sure what's in them, you know, and I, and, I, and I think there's been a lot of reviewing, you know, ESG has obviously suddenly hit the, the, the accelerator as far as investment themes and everything else. And, and uh, uh, you know, the, the, in, in the rush to fill all the ESG ETF demand, you know, a lot of the fund houses have created ETFs that actually still own on ESG stocks. You know, and, and but you wouldn't necessarily know that as a private investor, you're buying that off a platform, even if you buy it from, you know, some very reputed houses. But no, I, I, I think I think trusts trusts give you an element of human exposure. Tr- tracking is great. Passives, ETFs, they are great because they're cheap. You know, they are they are that Vanguard was is fantastic and it was much needed. It's it's shaken up the the wider investment market, you know, there, there's arguably some things that got a little bit lazy and innovation was probably lacking in the UK investment houses. That's good. But but at the same time, it's it doesn't always give you an ability to, as a private investor, get your extra exposure to certain areas. You know, you might you might want to 
have 25% of your portfolio in, you know, something that's a little bit more specific and maybe some of the trusts can provide that. Or equally, you you might buy into to a fund manager's philosophy. You know, there is an element of, I want someone else to look at this stock on my behalf. I want them to actually talk to the management. I want them to be ethical, ruthless, dynamic, flexible. And and and, and I think that's the that's definitely a human element that you need. So no, I, I think I think trusts are um are, are, are very interesting. The challenge is that they are they are UK centric. So that, that means that their their ability to expand is 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 limited to the UK market. Do you think that there's still a role for for the investment trust as a vehicle? I've I've noticed for example Hypnosis, the music um, investment trust, has been yes. creating a lot of uh, media interest and is buying the back catalogues of some fairly famous names in, in music. That sounds like quite an innovative new, new strategy. Do you think that there's that there's still a role for that kind of investment vehicle going forward, rather than just you know let's let's launch an ETF? Yes, I do. I I, I think that that. A, you probably wouldn't be able to get an ETF together on that. You know, yeah. ETFs do require quite a lot of scale, you know, and quite a lot of liquidity, you know, so that does naturally put them into bigger global stocks. As money flows in and out, they're just, you know, back-ending it out with the physical physical stock on the other side. Yeah, no, exactly. You know, something turns up and it's interesting. You know, look at the success of the Scottish Mortgage Trust. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. You know, there was no ETF that was going to be able to create that you know that has that you know you, you're not going to get that same i mean look at Berkshire hathaway it's not a trust in the same sense but you know you're you're buying a philosophy you, you're buying that experience you're buying someone to check it for you and the advantage of a trust as well not wanting to mention the w name but but you know is you should have a board that provides oversight i think that's worth a lot because quite often you're going to buy a trust to buy and leave you know and you want to know that it's been well monitored, well looked after. If it's not performing, should the fund manager be reviewed? St. James's Place has been very successful at that. I mean, I know it comes in and out of press because it's quite a, it's a very successful business. You know, some people get jealous of that and, and maybe they do charge, you know, high fees, but people seem prepared to pay them. But there is that element of, of someone is keeping an eye on this for me. So no, I think I think the, the trust market is, has got many positives to it. And you also you also touched on ESG, and obviously that's a huge theme at the moment. It's uh, it's something that I think certainly our experience has been that investors are get uh, retail investors, small investors are getting more and more energized about. And uh, two things I wanted to ask you about this: one is from the as a provider of research, do you envisage that a lot more of your focus as a research provider is going to have to be on the ESG criteria of any particular company i.e it's it's overall like climate and um, social and governance impacts um do you think that that's going to be um a bigger piece of your parcel and then secondly i know that you also cover sort of the oil and gas sector we've noticed again and feedback from investors has been oh gosh you know why are you providing publicity to this energy stock they're harming the planet you know they don't deserve to have any kind of coverage at all so you know the oil industry in particular the mining industry less so they they have quite a a, a high mountain to climb as far as continuing to be able to engage with smaller investors are concerned i just wondered what your what your thoughts were on that 
it's a fascinating space and 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 Stuart, we've we've been interested in it as Edison for, for and, and me personally for a long time you know what what we're now seeing is probably 25 years of culmination of different people in different areas have now come together you know suddenly the PIR has become this uh body for responsible investing has is has now got this position so ESG's here to stay. From, from an Edison perspective, we create something called the, we do believe that all investors, all investors, not just ESG funds, are going to be requiring greater transparency on certain reporting metrics. And so we've got something called the ESG edge that actually the ranking agencies, the indices, you, you know, there's, there's a, there's a, of the accountants, I mean, there's a huge industry that's now built around all, all of this and again some it's quite formulaic you know you can we, we got certain client stocks that they they can be graded double a by by one ratings agencies and 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 you know triple c by uh another ratings agency uh, you know and, and and that's because their business has just happened to be in different points of development and this is this is particularly impactful for for smaller growing companies and even mid caps you know they're not yet that's mature they're not in that sort of steady state so so people now I, th- I, th- I think lockdown with covid has definitely brought this idea to the forefront i mean i think that yes you want to make money when you're investing but but i think the large majority of of investors by virtue of the fact that you are investing you are looking to the future you have a you instinctively have an element of i want to be able to enjoy that money and spend it and i want to be able to see that it's it's doing good i want to invest in companies that are going well that are growing that are employing people no you know it, it's it's very closely associated you know if you're investing in a company that's having to you know it's got a sick workforce or or, or it underpays its its staff or whatever you're kind of knowing that that's running on very thin margins and it's likely that, that stock is eventually that business is you know, might struggle and your share price is going to fall. You, you, you know, it's like brands, you know, you you have good brands, they're good businesses, they invest heavily in the brand. And at Edison, we invest heavily in, in, in our staff in providing courses and, and, you know, giving everyone relevant access and healthcare because we want them to be happy. There's a very good book by a chap called Dr. Paddy Lund and it's called Building the Happiness-Centered Business. The, the two are very associated so so i think esg and investing it's moving mainstream you know you look at the growth of esg funds i know there are cynics out there and they go well that's because investment managers can charge for this yes they can yeah they can but but you need the investment community to make that shift in order to make this mainstream i mean there's a business called impacts that you know that's been hugely successful you know with running its Funds, UK listed company has got various funds. You, you know, they've been around for, 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 you know, 20 odd years. They were, when they started, they were one of the outliers of talking about this, of, of, of good ideas. The, the challenge is now is, is slightly, ironically, there's more ESG money, you know, that can't find enough ESG stocks to invest in. I was speaking to one big fund manager, big as in by, by value, not by size, personal size. Uh, and, um, the other week and he said look you know if we want to have this stock in our esg portfolio 
we have to have a report on it. And he says that, you know, unless it's, it's, it's rated by one of the agencies, you know, that means we've got to write the report. And he says, I don't have the time to do that. So there, there's a disconnect that, that companies need to work out. They're going to have to improve their reporting. The UK is very good already. You know, we look, we look at stocks from all over the world. The UK is a very good, transparent market. You know, the, the, what, you know what you can get from a website, you know, the quality of the restorations page is it's fantastic. And I, and I do think that we are moving to a stage that is beyond just it's trendy. You know, when you're getting, you know, Larry Fink and people talking about, about this, you know, it is, it is now much more a conscious part of the investment management community's thinking. As far as oil stocks, yeah, we cover extract the extractive industries. I think that they are, some of them are now at the forefront of, uh, not all of them, and I, and I think, again, different territories and geographies have different regulations. But, but, but if you put the pressures on as investors, you can make a, 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 a difference. You know, that might mean it increases your cost. It might mean that it increases your cost of production. Uh, and as investors and shareholders, that's your call. You know, are you happy for that? You know, the oil's going to need to be extracted. The, the you know, unfortunately, the chickens need to be killed to make the chicken McNuggets or soon to be they grown in a lab. But right now, we still, until the whole world is able to survive on solar for our heating and our electricity and our transport or, or, or alternatives, we do still need oil as a major source of, of energy and gas for for heating and, and so on. So, you know, you can't suddenly turn it all off, uh, you, you you know, but what you can do is make sure that, listen, if we do have to survive on that, making sure you're working with a company or you're investing in a company that is aware of its environmental impact uh, uh, and, and therefore will minimise minimize that impact and damage on on the environment if it's a if it's a extractive industry you know but there are some that they don't want to invest in it i sometimes think that's a little bit hypocritical if you're going to turn on your 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 light switch and drive your car you know your petrol driven car or even your electric car is still you've got to create the energy to to charge the car esg is a a very very exciting space it's going to throw up a lot of opportunities and, and and for an investment opportunity companies that are involved in it that are finding new ways of doing stuff I, I think a large part of that is driven the success you know the lockdown and our ability to transfer our lives into the zoom world uh, you know that's an environmental plus i would argue so I, I i think it's you know we're going through a massive massive period of of innovation you know esg is probably you mean you know it's the environmental social and and, and governance and and I guess it's more when people think of ESG and stock investments and solar, that's more on the environmental side. But the social is is very impactful too. You know, the social aspect or or perhaps the lack of communication about the social aspect undid the Deliveroo IPO. People, many of the big houses didn't get involved because they weren't comfortable with understanding what the, the social implications were. That's got to be a good thing. That's, I mean, it's obviously, ESG is obviously a big trend and, and, and green investment is a big trend. Uh, we're certainly seeing a lot of interest in that. Electric vehicles, you've mentioned Tesla already. Anything you know around that industry seems to do very well with investors at the moment. We've also seen in the first quarter of this year, 
Um, a lot of money going into sort of cannabis and CBD sectors again. I uh, just wondered if there's any big sort of themes or trends that you're seeing from your side, uh, or which you're expecting to develop further this year in terms of um, uh, investment themes. I think you've got to be looking at it in scenarios and you've got to take your view as to what how those various scenarios are going to play out. So lockdown, travel bans, you know, if we have travel bans, then that's very good for UK domestic leisure businesses. We recently published a report on that, 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 that people can find on our website, you know, the outlook of who are going to be the winners and in, in, in that space. If we have a lot of green countries announced, then airlines are going to do very well. You know, they're going to be very busy again and, and, and international holidays and cruises and things like that. I think that's, those are, those are fairly, fairly obvious. I think that the longer term trends that we see um, I think there's a bigger agrarian agrarian revolution that is building up ahead of steam. I think the awareness that we need to find alternative ways to feed the world. You know, I think that we're now arguably as as as, as individuals, we're better informed of perhaps how some of our food lands on our plate, be that meat based, be that cocoa, be that fish. Uh, and, and, you know, we're, 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 we want alternatives. And, and if the consumer demands alternatives, you'll play that back through the market. So I think there's a huge opportunity in, in foods, food alternatives. This is an industry that really hasn't seen a lot of innovation for, for decades. Now that's starting to come, come out with companies needing investment and companies coming to the market. Um, so that's really exciting. I think that health, yes, a number of stocks have done very well. The Bartek space has done very well. Cannabis fits into that. We did a lot of work for a number of years with a company called GW Pharmaceuticals. that was a hugely successful business that then eventually had to go and list in the US to find a true valuation because sadly there, was, there wasn't the depth of the market in the UK for that. A lot of people were a little bit slow to recognizing the opportunity and i i think with cannabis you just need to be careful as to what you're investing in because you know production is is really just farming you know and, and farming has a very different valuation to drug creation which is what the gws of the world were doing it's it's an exciting area but i would i would definitely broaden that out into broader healthcare. i think that what what's exciting as well is is how quickly the covid vaccines got approved you know, and I wonder, is that going to start to accelerate how quickly other drugs can get approved? Because there's a lot of drugs in development that, that, that regulators are quite rightly very strict about how, how you get approval. But might you see some of that opening up? Aging, longevity, you know, these are things that, that you know, again, I think that people, people are, are reflecting on, on their lives and quality of lives, you know, accessing the, the, the grey pound. I think that's a long-term theme. I think energy remains a, a, a great theme. And, and, and within that, yeah, you do want to put the oil stocks. You know, many of them are, are on love, but, but I think you'll see some of them are perhaps the best positioned to transfer themselves into a, a, an environmental aspect and, and, and play. I think share prices across the board, I was amazed personally at how well some of them held up uh, pre and post pandemic. You know, you will speak to an economist and they kind of go, well, hang on a minute, someone's going to pay for all this. You know, they're in. And, I, and I'm not sure the market has looked at all of that just yet, is that, you know, at what point 
do the tax rises come through? At what point do uh, does the market slow? At what point does inflation start to come back? Uh, you, you know, I'm, I'm I'm not an economist by by training, but you do see that listen that kind of borrowing has to have some kind of break. But at the same time, I think that you look around the world and there's there's massive efficiencies that have been witnessed in the last twelve months. Massive changes as to to lifestyles as to I think it took Disney ten months to reach the same number of subscribers that had taken Netflix ten years. I mean Deliveroo or Just Eat, you know, they're they're you know as business models, they're ideal, they're great. An app and you've suddenly got access to all different I mean the varieties is is brilliant. And these things have come from nowhere in very short short order. So I I think you're seeing you're seeing an acceleration of of business models. And, and those that are successful will be successful more quickly. My final question, actually, you again, you mentioned the GW Pharma um, going to the US, listing in the US to get that depth of valuation, as you call it. After Brexit, there, there's been a lot of um, publicity about um, how the city is going to be damaged by Brexit and how companies that are already listed in London are going to be looking for listing venues elsewhere at the same time there's been discussion about how the current listing regime in the UK ought to be um, liberalised to make it easier for both British and non, non-British companies to list here. Um, what do you think the health of that, that market is in, in London at the moment? Do you think that it's looking robust, that we're going to see a lot more IPO activity coming through this year? Um, and, and what do you think the overall you know, impact of Brexit has been on the on the sort of the, the the plumbing of the London equities market. I think the angle of why does the GW go to the US and will others go there is that's not a UK centric thing. I mean, I think Grab, the um, Singapore based um, uh, lifestyle app, is, is 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 listed in 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 the US, and that's just a you know pools of capital, big pools of capital in the US, and if you're the right size, it's slightly mindset as well. You know, the UK is a phenomenal powerhouse of ideas, of invention, of innovation. And yet somehow we haven't quite caught up in the, you know, investors, not all, of course not all, but many, you know, are sort of driven by, you know, you often find this as reasons not to invest in a stock rather than reasons to invest in it. And I don't know if this is a UK trait, or maybe it's a European trait, or you know, of, of I always want to get the best price, and I always try to drive a price down on a on, on a stock or whatever, you know. So, so companies go to the US because they get a better valuation, you know, and there's more money there, and that's perfectly understandable. Because in reality, it's quite an expensive exercise to go and list in the US, and there's more regulation. So, I think if the UK could free itself up to more international capital, I think that post Brexit, pre Brexit. I thought that the, the, the UK was in a very strong position. We have geography on our side. We've got language on our side. We've got, we've got time on our side. You know, we are very lucky that Greenwich Mean Time dictates the business lives of, of everybody else. And we're slap in the middle of, of, of that, which, which opens up more economies to the UK. We're very lucky with the language in that, you know, when we write on our, our, our international stocks, they, they largely want to be written on in English. So, so I don't think that's ever going to go away. I think, you know, from a position of UK as a centre, you know, look, it's there's there's a North American and there's the Asian 
powerhouses and, it, and India is obviously within you know the sort of Asian Middle Asian space uh, by geography. I thought that the UK strengthening with Europe is would would, would be a good thing. And I I still do. Can we still do that without being tied in from a regulatory point of view? I I, I don't know. I know I'm not wanting to get into the politics, but but going forwards, now I think that you you've got to look forwards and that the UK has got and and London in particular. It's got an established history in finance that the other cities don't have. I hope it stays entrepreneurial. We want more stocks to list in London. We want more international stocks to list. So, so any changes to to the regulations, I think, are, are are to be encouraged. What you want as an investor is just to be made aware of, you know, the the, the changes to the share classes. Uh, it doesn't put people off buying Facebook or Google. Why? Why can't those stocks be listed in the UK or an equivalent? But I guess as a, as an as an investor, you just want to know, be made aware of. Okay, so this chief exec owns X percent of the stock, but owns sixty percent of the votes. Am I happy with that? Uh, if you are, great. So so no innovation in London. London needs more listed companies. A stock market needs a sufficient amount of scale to support the infrastructure. And and you know there was a danger that the London market. For a number of years, you know, even pre-Brexit, and Brexit was a very difficult period because the UK became quite uninvestable, stocks got cheaper, they all went private, so the market got smaller. We have an infrastructure, we've got scale. Some of that's going to get splintered off into Amsterdam, into you know, Euronex is 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 clearly is clearly a bigger challenge to um to the London Stock Exchange. But but no, I, I'm I'm looking forward with great optimism. I think that. We will see more IPOs. My, my caveat on that is just to all the bankers, if anyone listens, please price them right. You know, <laughs> nothing hurts the market more than getting the price wrong and going to a discount. If the, if the investors are not happy with the price, but they want to float, don't sell all their stock. Hang on to it. Keep it for a year. If they've got the confidence in the business, the business will grow and then you can sell it. I was trained from a very early day. IPOs have to go to a premium. Have to, have to, have to. Now, you know, clearly some sometimes they do get underpriced. That's a state of the market. The same can happen when you're selling your house. You year later, you can my God, that's now worth fifty percent more than it was when it floated. So be it. But you know, there is a there is a liquidity and a transparency and a de-risking by coming to be a listed stock, which should mean it should move to a premium if it's if it's priced right. I'm optimistic. I think the UK is well positioned, but equally it's good to be challenged by the rest of Europe. Competition is good. It will make us innovate. It will make us more accessible. I think the A market is brilliant. I think it's the most fantastic, well run, and I, you know, I, I would always get behind it. I think it's, you know, the ability for interesting ideas to get on the stock market, provided you as an investor have the right information. You choose to buy or or not buy the stock, but it's much better to have have the option than not. Well, thank you very much indeed for that. People can go to um, your website, which is edisongroup.com. All our research is on a, all our content, videos, webinars, free to view. We, we, although the investor doesn't pay, that's the way the business model works. You know, but we treat investors very much as part of the community, and we encourage conversation, engagement, and, and access to the to the corporates. So, so please do. Do, do have a look on the on the on the website and um, hopefully there's some interesting stuff to read thank you very much indeed fraser you've been listening to the armchair trader podcast 
to get uh, up-to-date commentary on what's happening in the share markets both in Europe and North America and our views on some of the emerging investment stories in the small cap space, make sure you check out www.thearmchairtrader.com and sign up to our free daily newsletter.